In every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Technically, I've been recording this whole thing. I could, we could just be in the show oh, right now here if you want. <laughs> we can, we can, we can fade in. I'll do an intro and decide how much of that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, cut it up, cut it up if you need to, and, and you know. All right. Well, hello everyone. Welcome, yeah. welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a podcast dedicated uh, to exploring, analyzing, and celebrating the television series Angel. I'm your host, Paul Smith. And every week, give or take, much more take, but uh, basically weekly, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of each episode of the series in depth and when the co- and let's try that again and within the context of the series as a whole, uh, which means we're going to spoil things. We're going to spoil a lot of things. So this counts as your official spoiler warning. Uh, with that out of the way. Let's go to work. I'm welcoming back with me this time for the first time in way too long. I think it's been since, uh, um, was it The Gift? The season five finale, I think, was the last time I had you on. Uh, always on the move, impossible to pin down Michael Holland. Welcome back, Michael. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me back. Um, it's yeah. good to see you. I, I like this new, uh, we got video now. That's right. That's right. We're Since uh, we're not allowed... Um, like real world contact with other humans anymore. I'm overcompensating by doing all of my podcasts as videos now only for me. I'm, I do not share the video content with anyone. So you're safe. No one needs to know about the weird stuff going on in your video. I won't yes. tell anybody what's happening right now. I'm, I'm glad they're gagged. I, <laughs> uh, my, uh, my regular co-host on gobbledygeek, he records, he's got a basement that he records from and behind him is this curtain that I guess is covering up some other part of the basement that he's in. But I just always assume that that's where he keeps the bodies or the, you know, the people in cages or whatever. That's his, his murder basement. And he doesn't want me to see all the evidence. Or, or he has a, a wonderful little theater troupe on the weekends. That maybe, maybe <laughs> Shakespeare in Akron. I'm sure is what's <laughs> actually going on in Arlo's basement. Anyways, welcome back, Michael. Um, Thank you. So we may or may not have just sort of casually faded into the discussion. We may have, I may have faded us out of the intro music and right into this discussion. So people might have already heard all this, but let's just briefly talk about what it is you do for a living uh, because sure. it changes every time I've got you on. It, it, it does. It feels like it. Um, um, the short answer is I work in post-production um, for film and TV. Um, I feel like the last time I was on, it was, it was, Oh no! I'm sorry. The, the last time I was on, it was for it was while well, I was on Horror Story. 
Okay. So that was as post-production supervisor for American Horror Story. It was season nine. I think it was nine. It's the 1984 mm-hmm. season. Um, prior to that, I was at Warner Brothers for three years, so that made it very easy um, when um, when I was there. But the short answer is is for the last twenty plus years, it's been it, the primary primary work has been in post-production. Um, so so most late uh, or lately, it is. Uh, been as post-production supervisor for the Sony ABC TV show For Life, um, which, uh, in fact, this season just aired its finale on Wednesday. So we're in wrap on that right now. Um, So, yeah, it's it's fun to be a little bit in the trenches while also being a fan of storytelling. I I was going to say, you are my, you're my Hollywood insider. You are how I'm going to get this and all of my other podcasts turned into movies. Excellent. Or TV <laughs> shows or whatever. Yeah, that's, we, that's... Well, as long as as long as we get to cast who plays us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Uh listeners, uh, fan cast, me and all of my guests. Tell us who should play uh everybody. Um so when you were when you were first running through I, either on or off mic, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> um and you said you were I think you said you were post production supervisor for life. Or something that you, and what I thought you were saying is you're post you were post production supervisor for life, like for you're life, locked yeah. in. I was like, wow, that's a sweet deal. How'd you swing that? Yeah, there there are, there are you know two meetings a year. You get a little pin, um, and they they just they jump you in. And, nice. Uh, yeah, nice. it does it does sort of feel like that. I mean, it's it's you know you you, you kind of find your niche in, in whatever you do, and and I was kind of lucky to get into post, like I said, it was 20 plus years ago. Um, but I, I like it because you tend to work on, even if you're facility side, you work on different titles or different projects. And if you're show side, you tend to work on different shows. So it, it you know, the, the idea that it's like, Oh, I'm on, I'll pick any, I'm on ER and I'm going to be on ER for 12 years or whatever that, that doesn't really happen anymore mm-hmm. just by the nature of the way seasons are and by the, by streaming and, and the shorter seasons, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you tend to work on a bunch of different things. You still get to meet a bunch of different people, work with a bunch of different, you know, um, showrunners all the way down to, to grips and gaffers and you get to watch everybody kind of move up and do different things. And it's, it's a weirdly small community. Um, um, even with streaming now and even being much more worldwide than it was, you know, even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, um, you still kind of talk to the same people and you run into the same editors and the same, you know, uh, DPs and the same like script supervisors tend to do so many different things. And you're like, oh, it's cool. We worked on this four years ago or whatever it is. So that, that part's still a lot of fun, even even though it's post and it seems like the the less interesting, more technical part. Um, it's, it's not at all. It's all those things, but, but not certainly not, not interesting. Um, um, so yeah, I, I kind of lucked into it and I love it. That's awesome. Um, and you have worked with, I'm going to say worked with, I don't know how with, with yes, air quotes, you've worked with, uh, some mutant enemy folks. I, I have. Uh, so, just really quickly, um, there there is certainly the elephant in the room. Yes. Um, um, so I just want to say, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to soapbox it, um, <laughs> except to say, uh, you guys deserve 
credit for um, the episode that you did with uh, you and Nikki and Dale. Um, I just wanted to say I thought it was it was honest and wise and and healthy um, and and important to address so that we can move on and still talk about um, the shows or the scripts or the other people or all of the above. I, I think you handled it as well as you could uh, and better. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Um, yeah. It helped a lot that I had uh, two super smart uh, women on the show with me. I would have fumbled my way through it as I fumble my way through everything. But uh, Nikki and Dale both are uh, supremely smart and sensitive. And, and uh, yeah, I, I was honored to have them on talking about it. And I felt better after I had talked with them. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that we got to do that. I struggled with the decision to do it, but I'm glad that, that we did it. Well, yeah, I mean, in a lot of great, I won't belabor it, but a lot of great points were made and all, all both sides and all that good stuff. Um, I think that's funny. The one little bit that I took out of it, and I'm going to, um, you know, sort of kill the quote or, or butcher the quote, but it was basically the, 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 the tale is more important than the teller. Mm-hmm. Trust the tale, not the teller or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I thought that was, that was a, a great sort of way to move on mm-hmm. is to, is to focus on as you just said, mutant enemy, as opposed to one person and to focus on the stories as opposed to one storyteller. Right. Um, anyway, like I said, it's, it doesn't need to be a soapbox except that you deserve the kudos. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, sorry. Um, you were talking about mutant enemy. So I, I have a, you know, um, if, if, if this is mutant enemy, you know, kind of over on square one, I might be over on square four. Uh, okay. So, so on, on, on the board, um, um, you know, and, and have, and have interacted with some of the players, but, but very, very fringe. I was, um, I was lucky to work on the Glee episode that Joss guested on. Um, I, I was at the facility when we were doing the finishing on dollhouse season two. Okay. Um, and, um, so obviously if I wind up doing dollhouse for this podcast, you're going to be back. Oh, I, I would love to cause, cause there, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of fun stuff to to talk about, and I, I am actually a big Dollhouse fan. Uh, I think had it gotten legs, it it, it could have been uh, a lot more interesting than I think it was. Mm-hmm. I think it it never quite the the machine never quite you know geared into itself, and it was close in a, in a, some great episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, blah blah blah, but um, yeah, and then um, you know for. For all of you know, five minutes, um, you know, I got to hang out with Joss, um, and and then, which was great, you know. But you know, um, as sort of a lot of people have said, I, you know, there there are probably two sides um, to every story, and and it sounds like to Joss. Um, um, and then uh, jumping ahead, um, when I was on Horror Story, that was with uh, the doesn't get enough credit Ryan Murphy Productions, mm-hmm. um, and um, who also does Nine One One, which uh, Tim Minear now runs. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I think I mentioned it, but uh, um, since Mr. Minear wrote uh, the first episode for today, Sense and Sensitivity. Uh, the one the one funny story I have uh, with Tim is when we were on Horror Story. And, um, you know, we shot in Franklin Canyon, which is here in, in, in Los Angeles. That's where the camp uh, physically was. It was physically built there. 
a bunch of wonderful stuff has been done up there, including like the, the opening of the Andy Griffith show. That's the same. Excellent. Nice. Um, so it was a really fun shoot. We were doing a lot practically, you know, we shot stuff on film. We did a lot of the blood practically, um, just to try to keep that, that 84, you know, um, sense and sensibility. <laughs> um, and so Tim came out to the set just for fun because he was having a, you know, he was like, hey, who, who didn't really want to come out to a, a, basically a 1984 slasher set. Yeah. He was just out there for fun. And we, we knew what we were biting off because we were shooting outside at night with practical blood with film celluloid. As yeah. opposed to um, and he said, cause at the time this was on nine one one, not Lone Star. Um, but he said, he goes, look, I'm not saying that you guys are going to go over budget here, but he goes, I just had a tsunami hit Los Angeles and I'm still on budget. So, <laughs> so I said, well, thanks Tim. That's, uh, <laughs> wow. No, no pressure. Yeah. No pressure at all. Nice. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> that was the longest segue into sense and sensitivity. But <laughs> no, I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, man, I do not watch, I do not watch nine one one. I don't apparently don't watch a lot. I watch a ton of TV, but apparently not like primetime procedural sort of TV. But, um, uh, I did watch 1984. I watched, uh, American horror story, 84. It was a lot of fun. Um, for, for the Michael Holland connection. Thank you. And um, I loved yeah, now it. Now you have to watch for life. And so now I have to watch EVCs for life. Um, uh, American uh, Horror Story 84 was fantastic. I, I love that. It, it remains to this day the only season of that show I've ever watched, um, which people can yell at me for. But I loved it. And uh, my goal right now is to get my co-host on Gobbledy Geek to also watch American Horror Story 84 so we can talk about it on that podcast and have you back as I would, our, I would love to. As our star because witness. You could maybe do it, plan it for um, Gobbledy Ween. Yeah. Yeah, we should. As maybe one of those. He's a horror fan, and I'm, uh, as listeners of that show know, I am trying to cram as much 1980s down his throat as possible, so... This is this is perfect. Seems like a perfect opportunity. Anyways, I think you still owe me for for the. Um, I was supposed to come on and do Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> That's right. And oh jeez. <laughs> oh my gosh. So no pressure. Yeah, we won't recount the the American horror story of how that whole thing went that down. Oh my that was gosh. Really funny. That was terrible. So, uh, so the third time that we do an episode about Cabin in the Woods, we'll have you on for that one. Excellent. All right. Anyways, let's move into uh, our discussion of these two episodes. Um, so, like you said, the first one we're going to talk about is episode 106, Sense and Sensitivity. Uh, and then we'll also be talking about 107, Bachelor Party. So, uh, Sense and Sensitivity, original air date, November 9th, 1999, written by Tim Minear, directed by James A. Contner. Um, go. Contner was already a veteran at this point. Yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah. he was all over Buffy. And mm-hmm. uh, I think he, I think he stays all the way through the run of Angel, maybe. I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, he may have, I, I don't quote me, but he may have done a Firefly too. I don't remember. Oh, all right. Yeah. He's a, obviously I need to do, I need to start doing like spotlight episodes where we talk about the, the hardcore mutant enemy people. James Contner probably needs an episode of his own, but. And one thing, one thing I, it's, it's, as long as we were chatting 
Tim for a second. Um, I, I had heard or read somewhere, um, so somebody I would love to fact check me on this, but that his upcoming sum, Somnambulist, mm -hmm. um, which I believe is episode 11. Yeah, which interestingly has Jeremy Renner. Uh, Jeremy Renner. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that was his episode. Yeah. So, but anyway, I had read or heard whatever that that was the first episode Tim wrote. I believe that's what I read as well. For, and it, and for it just got produced later. Yeah. Yeah. And something, but, but apparently that was so well received from, from him that they upped him, I think, to this. I don't know if Somnabulous was supposed to be earlier or if they had just had a whole slew of, of season one scripts in the pipeline. Yeah, um, I don't know that. But I, it's, it's just a throwaway tidbit that I, I think Somnabulist is his quote unquote first, although this obviously airs first. <laughs> yeah, this is his first credited writing uh, listing. Um, of course, he had he had done some Buffy as well, mm -hmm. uh, and he goes on to Firefly as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but he will play. Uh, he will have a pretty profound impact on this series. Uh, he'll eventually go on to be executive producer. Yep. Okay. And he, of course, he writes many many episodes coming up. Particularly, his influence is particularly felt in seasons two and three. I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's uh, great. Yeah, he's um, fantastic. Uh, as a, as a storyteller and as a person. Um, so storytelling, this episode, Sense and Sensitivity, what do you think, man? Where do, where do we start? Uh, you know what's funny? So, so uh, sorry, I'm, I'm tangenting all over the place. Do um, it. But um, just one real quick shout out to WandaVision. Uh, oh, yes, because, man. <laughs> only because it's on right now. Um, and, and I absolutely love that it is week to week. You, know, mm -hmm. you cannot binge it. Right. Um, so it, it's, it is, it is felt like for me anyway, sort of event TV mm -hmm. that I haven't felt in a while. Um, probably not since Watchmen. And then before that it was, I don't know what, anyway, the only reason I mention it is because I had, when I, when you graciously invited me onto this and I started thinking about it and whatnot, I had not watched Angel in, I, I don't know, seven or eight, nine years, mm -hmm. a long time. Um, so I started thinking about, you know, today with, I went back to in the dark, um, and I said, Oh, I'm just, I'm not going to start from the beginning. Cause I kind of remembered the right. opening and, right. but I was like, I just kind of want a nice little run up, um, into these two episodes. And I, I forgot how much I really loved watching Buffy and Angel live and how, how that sort of event TV felt because once we got into Angel, you had those two hours. I think it was Tuesday nights, I'm, I'm, but it was yeah. it was it was Buffy and then Angel. So you know we were doing we would have like friends over and yeah, and it was like this this event TV thing. And I, maybe just because I had not seen you know Angel in a long time, that it was just really fun to. Um, revisit them and see these again. Um, so I think that was another reason that made me really want to say kudos to keeping this going because um, I know how much you were looking forward to getting into Angel and it yes. really is a good series and deserves this. But I was just really enjoying the episodes. Um, and then, so I'd watch those three just to kind of put my head back in the space and, and enjoy it again. So when I got to Sense and Sensitivity, I was really looking forward to it. 
Um, and I, I did like it. And it's funny. One thing that I thought this time that I had never thought before is this time it reminded me of band candy. Huh. Just in this sort of in this way that this this you know pseudo magical thing happens that makes people not act how they normally do, but makes Un- them uninhibited, yeah. Honestly. And some of it's played for comedy and some of it's very not. Right. Um, and I don't know why. I just all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is a lot like band candy. Uh, that was that was it was the first thing I wrote down was just band candy question mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I, I confess I wouldn't have gone there, but uh, I get that um, the in some instances, characters under the influence of this uh, sensitivity training seem to act a little bit uh, drunk or inebriated, certainly uninhibited. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Um, and then you get the, um, you know, I think you even mentioned it on the last on the last show with Dale, the, the episode show um, that this first season is 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 mutant enemies, Batman. Um, and you know, and I don't say that in a bad way. I think it's great. Um, um, you know, and Kate is, is the Gordon, Uh um, blah, blah, blah. And so it was just interesting that they gave Kate the Batman opening, um, in this episode, you know, she, she gets that, that, uh, little prove me scene at the beginning. Um, I mean, with a flying kick to the guy in the door. I I know, right. It was like a big, a big sort of opening scene, you know, and, and it's kind of, I wrote this note um, further down the line of, of how, you know, TV in general is condensed, um, certainly for time, but I, but it, it's also condensed for emotion. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have to do a lot in a short amount of time. And I don't, I don't, I never think that's bad writing or bad plotting when you go from something like this Batman opening to her crying in Angel's office you know, over whatever. I mean, both of those things are true and they're both happening, but in TV, it, it sometimes feels too big. But for me, it's not because you kind of have to hit the big beats. Um, and you had to show her or reintroduce her to the audience as being tough Kate, you know, cop or tough cop Kate. Right. And so that she has somewhere to go. And then by the end, sort of, you know, regain that, you know, or still be that or whatever. Um, so I, I kind of liked the opening just for that. It's just, it kind of just shows her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, and who doesn't like to get to play Batman for, you know, five minutes. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. David Boreanaz gets to do it through the entire season. So <laughs> it's only fair that uh, Kate get to do it. Um, so my confession is that on my first on my original viewing of Angel, as it was airing, I was not a Kate fan. And I feel like, my memory at least, is that a, a lot of people weren't Kate fans. To the point where, at least in my head, I've built up this myth that she doesn't stay on the show uh, any longer than she does because she was deemed not necessarily a popular character. I, I, I have no idea if you're aware I, of anything I different. I have not heard that, but... Okay. I, that's just that's just always been my impression. I have since watched Angel multiple times and I have grown to love uh Kate. And particularly I feel like this episode maybe was one of the tough cells initially because as you said, you know, 
she doesn't have every scene of every episode like David Boreanaz does to capture the nuances of his character and to watch his development. She gets, you know, single episodes and shorter arcs. And so they have to distill it down. Mm -hmm. They have to compress it down. And uh, you're right. That's not poor writing. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, But I feel like on my initial viewing, I was like, they're trying too hard. I don't, I don't know. I, I was very dismissive of Kate early on. I wasn't a huge fan of hers initially. And I feel like episodes like this, um, I was probably like, man, they're really trying too hard to make her the tough cop. Mm-hmm. That was a very immature <laughs> stance, yeah. in my opinion, because um, knowing where, knowing the character now, knowing where the this all goes, um, I, this is a beautiful episode for Kate. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, Elizabeth Rome's performance in this is fantastic. Uh, I mean, it's pretty easy if you're just a casual viewer to watch her, you know, being drunk in Angel's office or whatever and, and uh, you know, delivering her lines about Doyle, someone has a crush. And you're like, oh, this is kind of silly. But um, but you needed somebody to, to sort of be that honest. And yeah, be yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, there's a long no, I totally agree with you. There, there's a long history on uh, on. Well, there will be a long history on this show. There's a long history from Buffy of characters being uncomfortable truth tellers and uh you you need like they play an important role in moving these supernatural plots along so um that was an important scene but i just think elizabeth rome's performance in this um all the way across the episode but particularly her uh her speech at her father's retirement is Mm -hmm. just phenomenal and uh, i certainly uh did not give her the appropriate credit when I first watched this show. And um, I think it's a fantastic scene. It's a fantastic moment. This is a, an episode that probably is not held in high regard. I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talk about this episode as one of the, the bright lights of season one, but I think it's a great episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you guys mentioned this last, last week as well um, that, they they are starting to get into a little bit of backstory or letting us associate with the characters that we don't know as much. Um, mm-hmm. So we started that with Doyle two episodes two episodes ago uh, last week whatever yeah um, um, and certainly he gets he gets a little bit more um, a lot more um, with with Bachelor Party but I think they were starting to 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 do something with Kate here um, I think where are we six episodes in yeah okay. this is six yeah. I think I'm, I'm sure there was a network note saying, you know, hey, let's do something with Kate and not just have her be Gordon. Right. You know, let's let's give her something. Um, I also I also like to imagine um, like I don't know how much of this played significant roles in sort of the decision making and the character development that they were doing behind the scenes. But. I always like to look at these things and spot sort of spot the tropes and see how the tropes are being reworked or reimagined or combined or whatever. So of course they're doing a noir show. I mean, there's, there's so many influences on angel. There's, there's noir, uh, crime fiction, uh, Batman, that kind of stuff. And so when you've got the noir detective hero, of course you need the Gordon or or the Batman, you need the Gordon or the, the, you know, the cop that is, uh, helping out the detective or whatever. And you also need the love interest slash femme fatale. And I just, it's interesting to look at this early season one of angel and imagine that um, some, in some early writer's room, they were like, well, we need, 
the cop that's on his side and we need the love interest. Oh, let's make them both. What if like what if Batman had a potential romantic uh entanglement with Gore with his Gordon? Sure. So I just like that they were they were and that's not a bad note. That's a really good note. Yeah. If, if somebody pitched me that now, I would go, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um that's it, one of my it's weirdly that's one of my favorite things in, in year one with Gordon is they give him the affair. Right. Because Gordon up until year one was such a such this iconic father figure. Right. That to just to give him any kind of a twist that it's, still makes sense worked. So much of that stuff in that era, we're now we're talking about Batman, but so much of the stuff in that era, the the Frank Miller, David Mazzucchelli, mm-hmm. all that stuff, it's it's difficult to remember that that wasn't always <laughs> that that wasn't always part of Batman. That is so a defining era of Batman now. Even writers nowadays who are making their own efforts to redefine the character, they still. It, it almost all still starts from there. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting because, you know, in, in, sorry, this is a, now we're tangenting again. It's fine. But even, it's cool. even Frank Miller, when he did year one said, um, um, cause super, super, super quickly, I had all of five minutes to spend with Frank on when we were at Technicolor on the Sony lot doing the spirit, nice. um, which is not a great, I love the character. Yes. Uh, yes. So yes. I kind of fought to work on that one. Um, um, I, I did not really love the movie, but I love the character so much. And Frank was, was super, super cool. Um, but, but cause I asked him as much as I possibly could in the five minutes, uh, about year one. And he said, he remembered, um, that, you know, he remembered growing up when Batman was scary and mm-hmm. when Batman was this Gothic horror kind of action hero, people sort of forget in some of the early detective comics, you know, I always use this one as the example, but like this building is on fire and the villain is caught in it and Batman just walks away. Right. He's like, justice, justice is served. I mean, he yeah. used a gun in his earliest appearances. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's pe- kind yeah. of people forget the, the dark. Sorry. Yeah. Way tangent. Um, <laughs> That's fine. Speaking it, of the, people, speaking of the dark night. <laughs> yeah. But it, it uh, it's interesting because one of the things I even noted about, about sense um, just because it was, you know this episode but it it happens in in season one is there's there's much more um an intentional sense of world building Mm -hmm. that we didn't have on buffy buffy always smelt uh, felt like uh, sunnydale a small town yeah you know and and you know 95 six percent of it happened in sunnydale right you know you'd hear about you know, England or, you know, we, you know, we go to LA occasionally or things would happen, but it's this. And, and Angel, I think they very intentionally said, this is going to be a city with, with everything that's in a city. So we're going to deal with the monsters and the, so like where, where, um, Lloyd, what's his name? Henry Lloyd, Alan Lloyd, uh, Alan Lloyd, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because every, his name tag says Lloyd, says Lloyd yeah, <laughs> but everybody else's has the first name. Yeah, I don't know. I was was like, was that just a prop thing that they thought Lloyd was the first name and they put, I don't know. I I would have to go back and look, but in, in my head right now, I'm, I'm picturing the scene where we first see him at the front of the class and he's got the name tag and on the blackboard behind him, it says Alan Lloyd. Correct. But I, I might be painting, I might be reimagining this, but it feels like Alan, like the name Alan was written after like the blackboard used to say Lloyd and maybe the actor came in and was like, 
I think my first name is Alan. I just wrote Alan up there. <laughs> I might be making that up, but anyways. But that that could be why his says Lloyd, which is yeah. just because hers says Kate and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, so his his little his his little lair mm-hmm. is still this very buffy, gothic looking house. Right. It looks like this gothic horror looking house, and then some things don't. So I, I really like you know, that to your point, this is kind of what started this, was everything that they're bringing into this first season. And some of it's noir and some of it's Escape from New York and some of it's, you know, some of it feels just very much like a city. Some of it feels like the Cairo stuff in Raiders. <laughs> it's just this weird, there's this mesh of of all these different, you know, how they interact with people. But I think they, they very intentionally said, let's let's blow this up and mm-hmm. make it feel much bigger spatially and character wise and things that he's going to run into that, that we did not have on Buffy. And I think that's to its credit. You, you feel like there's more and he's, he's up against more very much initially. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, uh, not that Buffy never referenced other locations or even went, well, now I'm trying to, now I'm trying to think, did Buffy ever go to other locations i mean the show did it like i don't remember there were no like new york episodes or or anything like that they talk i think they talk about a hellmouth in chicago right 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 they certainly talk about you know england um i I guess i guess we did briefly like at the beginning of season seven we did go to england i i don't know i just feel like um from from the outset angel is willing to uh talk about the large not only does la just feel more expansive like sunnydale i think was specifically designed to feel like a bubble universe a little yeah a very small stage um but not only does not only does la just feel bigger uh but they talk about the larger world and eventually they start going Mm -hmm. to the larger world uh and other worlds um, yeah, well, and and even to your point last week of of there being villains that aren't necessarily supernatural, right? Or, or not, you know, magically or or conventionally magically induced, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, there are just these other people. I mean, we when we eventually meet Gunn, he's dealing with a, a whole different level of vampires, but mm-hmm. in in a different way. Than, yeah. than the sort of the sort of big scope gothic stuff that we were accustomed to. And of course, uh, Wolfram and Hart, which eventually will realize uh, I, Wolfram and Hart is fantastic. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I am married to an attorney who has claimed for as long as I've known her that she works for Wolfram and Hart. Uh, in these past several years, I have seen uh, mounting evidence that she's not joking. <laughs> she she works for she works for an evil law firm, uh, but so it it is. It's alternately funny to imagine just a law firm like the the most evil thing in the city of angels is a law firm. Of course, that's hilarious and makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. But they also use it to to chilling and gut churning effect over the course of the series. Now, in this episode, we get. Um, uh, I think the character of Lee is it Lee. I can't remember the character's name now. Lee, I want to say Lee Pace, but that's not it. That's the actor. Lee Mercer. Thank you, Lee Mercer. Um, 
I think what I read is that was originally intended. I, I, I don't have a second screen open that I just looked at that up. No. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. Um, I mean, the th I've got a dozen windows open in front of me, and I'm too lazy to reach up to my mount my trackpad and search. But anyways, um, I think what I had read is that was originally meant to be Christian Kane. That was going to be. Oh, um, that makes sense. Um, the character whose name also just went out of my head. Lindsay. <laughs> no. Lindsay. Thank Lindsay you. McDonald. God. Now I just, this is the part where I edit back in and make it sound like I've known what I was talking about all along. Anyways, um, I think, but, you know, but, but well, even to the point that we were just talking about of world building, it's, it's nice to know that it's, it's not just the master, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and Darla. And there's like these three vampires that are fighting Buffy in season one. You know, <laughs> right. if you've got a law firm, it's like, okay, he's, he's fighting this horde of, of, you know, smart, dedicated in the trenches, evil, lawyers mm -hmm. there are going to be not not just one or two there's probably 50 or 100 <laughs> right which is which is my point to the lee mercer character because they couldn't get christian kane back in as lindsey mcdonald um because because they weren't able to put him in this episode they had to come up with another just random you know uh yeah. attorney uh work case attorney and that actually i feel like builds the banality of Wolfram and Hart's evil mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. than if we had always gotten Lindsay, like if Lindsay was the only attorney we ever saw. And then eventually yeah. they add in Lila, who's a, you know, a wonderful. She's amazing. Um, but anyways, I feel like that shows, um, I was going to call out Alan Lloyd as being another example of a human who's not necessarily supernaturally powered. That's untrue. He's, he's the typical human who's using magic to, um uh, achieve his ends but these attorneys um these like day rate attorneys that work for wolfram and hart um the fact that there are m multiple examples of these attorneys that are clearly just um morally bankrupt but completely normal human lawyers yeah. Yeah. that have that have a big supernatural firm backing them i don't know that brand of big bad, that brand of evil. Um, again, it's kind of like Frank Miller's year one. It's hard to imagine that this hadn't been around before. Like that Buffy had never done this before that I can remember. Yeah, no. And I, and I think it's just because we're, you know, of location, right. You know, um, you know, a, a, a lawyer, you know, a lawyer in Sunnydale would have sort of felt like, um, you know, just a, a monster of the week. I mean, I don't know how you how you quite sustain that. You might have done it for a season, but it doesn't quite feel like a big bad. Whereas on Angel, I think they said, "Hey, we're not just going to make this season one big bad. Mm -hmm. It's 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 going to continue, you know, throughout. It's they're always going to be there because they've always been there." Yeah, and I think that I think it works. Um, also, I think you know, <clears throat> to your point about the 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 lawyers. There, there is something genuinely creepy about the villain that look, I love the mayor, for instance, who, yes. who, who relishes in being evil and he's uh -huh. funny and he's glib and he's witty and whatnot. And then there are other villains, you know, and they sort of do this with with the Heath Ledger Joker, but he's he's even big. But there there are there are the, the, the people that just kind of want to watch the world burn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not really interested in the pot of gold. They're not really even interested in winning. 
or even besting something, you know, and these lawyers aren't really interested. Some of them are not interested in gaining magical powers. Some right. of them are interested in whatever the end game is. They only want to screw this person over or do their job well. It just happens to be evil. And right. they're, they're not into, oh, you want to blow up the world? It's, you know, okay, but like I can get this guy off. Like, right. You know, or that's what I've been tasked to do and I'm going to, to do it well. And it does not matter to me that it's evil. Yeah, they don't they don't really like Lee, so Lee Mercer. Lee Mercer doesn't care who the the senior partners are. You know, right. he just wants to keep his his good parking space in the garage. Whatever <laughs> he wants, the nice office. Yeah, I don't even think he cares about the gangster. I don't think he cares what the gangster is going to do once he gets out of jail. No, I think he, clearly the, since they cut him loose at the end for yep. what in the grand scheme of things is really not that big of a deal to a firm like Wolfram and Hart. Um, yeah. I mean, Wolfram and Hart could survive having, you know, that that gangster as a client. There's so many yeah. other things that they deal with. But anyways, the fact that they cut him loose at the end, you're like, oh, they didn't really care. This was yeah, no, right. and I, I think, but I think that to your point, that says more about them not being able to take care of the gangster as it is, okay, this is no longer advantageous to us. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not about the end game per se. It's like, oh, right now, today, I'm either losing money, making money, getting this person off or not. Mm -hmm. And it was too much of a liability. So they move on. They do not care. Yeah. It's, it's the sociopathic evil. And I, I think that's scarier than you know, a clown. Well, maybe not a clown. No, I don't know. Clowns. <laughs> see, I wasn't going to call out the clown thing because the people at home can't see the way you're dressed right now, but then you had to, <laughs> you had to go there. <laughs> you had to go there. Um, all right. So let's talk about some of uh, our heroes in this episode. Um, Cordy's got some great stuff in this episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Cordy gets great stuff in every episode, but Worked um, for a ventriloquist. Yeah, I love her. Uh, the cold open of this when Doyle is being strangled by the tentacle monster in the background, yes. and she's like, clueless. "I mean, can you say clueless?" It's good so stuff. Good, good yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, even talking about like room with a view. I mean, it's 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 wonderful to give Cordy some growth, but it's also wonderful to have Cordy be Cordy. Exactly. Exactly. Um. I think actually this episode balances it pretty well because she's obviously she gets that scene where she's like, God, can you say clueless while Doyle's being strangled behind her? That's funny. And that's, and, and there's even the bit where Doyle uh, says, you know, she thinks says to Angel, she thinks you're insensitive and not to belabor the point, but consider this or not to be too ironic, but consider right. the source. So they're still letting Cordy be Cordy, but she also has moments where she's, obviously recognizing what's going on around her. And uh, when Angel does make his ham fisted effort at being sensitive and appreciating Cordy, um, he's like, you know, thank you for going through all those yep. coroner's reports. It must've been hard to look at all that coroner stuff. And she doesn't even look up from her paper. She's like lame, <laughs> just continues on. Um, yeah. She's, she's got some good stuff. Did they ever, um, You've got, I, wait, I you've got pensive face. Done enough with Doyle. I too, I'm a big Doyle fan. Um, uh -huh. Just, just to underline that you've said that. Um, 
this I don't know why I made this note, but I wrote coffee question mark, and I was I was thinking, <laughs> have they ever said why Angel drinks coffee? Could, does he actually feel coffee? Um, does he enjoy coffee, or does he just drink it? I, I don't know why that that's got stuck in my craw. I I well, I mean, he can't get drunk, right? I don't know if he uh, so. Through Spike, through Spike on Buffy, we know that they can taste food or they they have a taste. So we see we see Spike get drunk, right? I think so. Regular listeners to this or my other podcast might know that for many, many years now, I've suffered a loss of uh, taste and smell for various reasons um, unknown to me. So I feel like my palate might be like a vampire's right now where we don't necessarily taste what food really is, but with enough of it. And if it's extreme enough, we get some sort of sensation of flavor. Um, Cause Spike obviously is very hedonistic and he enjoys, you know, wings and beer yeah. <laughs> and yeah. booze. And I feel like sort of like Wolverine and the X-Men, if he, if he, if they down enough, they yeah. can get drunk at least for a short period of time. As far as the coffee thing goes, um, we know I mean, he, it's a funny, bit. It's I, a, it's I a funny it. bit. We know in an earlier episode, we know that he tasted her coffee and thought it was repulsive. So he obviously can get some sort of ta- sense of taste at, by this point, I think it's just, he's leaning into the cliche or the habit of the detective yeah. waking up in the morning and drinking a cup right. of crappy coffee. Yeah. Is George R. getting his own talk show? God, I hope not. <laughs> I love that. Um, I did also. Uh, oh, we all. Um, uh, I made a note. Angel doing comedy, which we don't get a lot, and it was nice to see. Yes, the the whole the, the sort of salesman from the Herb from, Sanders yeah. Hawaiian shirt and hat. Can we talk yeah. about the Hawaiian shirt and the hat? That was that was a great did, bit. Did he just have him in his car? I know he like reached into the back seat, like, oh, what do I do now? As if he's just got. <laughs> you know, road flare style clothes in the back seat of his uh, all black angel mobile. Yeah, that was just funny. But I, I love seeing David do do not just the dry wit throwaways, which he does really well. Yeah. Um, um, before I forget to mention it, I love in Bachelor Party uh, just when he says, and apparently they have really expensive windows because uh, <laughs> yes. apparently he's going to have to pay for that, which I just think is and he's great at those. Yes. Throws those in, but whenever he gets to go big, I, mm-hmm. I think he just like singing Mandy. Um, I think he really, he David really relishes in. Oh, I get to do this for thirty seconds. Here we go. The the standout for me, I think, will always be. I mean, there's plenty of examples. I went down a rabbit hole after rewatching these episodes. I found a video that was just outtakes, like from a, <laughs> from across the all five seasons, like eighteen minutes of outtakes. And I had to watch that because it was all hilarious. But um, the standout for me is always going to be from the episode she, which I, I can't remember what episode number that is, but in that there's a sequence where uh, he imag- like someone asks him to dance at a party, and then he imagines what it would be like if he danced, and so we get to see David Boreanaz just awesome dancing like a complete fool, uh, and then he comes back and he's like, "Yeah, I don't dance." I mean, <laughs> That is golden stuff. That is David Boreanaz being just totally getting to be wacky on camera. And I'm sure, I'm sure he must love those opportunities because he does always have to play the straight guy. Yeah. Um, 
My parents, my parents were great. Tasted a lot like chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a line too of, um, I don't remember if it's in this one or, or the next one where oh, I must be the next one, I guess. Cause Doyle says, um, I wonder, he said, he, Doyle says something about, um, about having the Irish accent, um, which of course David, I mean, or angel did mm-hmm. have, yeah. you know, doesn't normally, but did have, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, I had one question too, that at the end here, um, they write off the, the, the wacky of the episode as being something that happened at the bar mm-hmm. as opposed to knowing that it was having to do with the sensitivity training. Not just somehow that got in my craw as well. There's, the, there's like a line that says, Oh, if some, somebody thinks it was spiked got into our drinks yeah, yeah, yeah. at the bar. And I'm like, wouldn't they have, I don't know, known or, or angel certainly would have told her like, Hey, it was the, the rain stick. That I mean, yeah, the rain stick. I mean, you'd think you would hope that, uh, all of those law enforcement officers, someone would be able to put two and two together and realize that only the people that had gone through that sensitive sensitivity training yeah. were behaving this way. Because even when they were at the bar, I got the sense that a couple of the officers there hadn't done it. And so they right. were like, like in particular, the one and or trying to comfort. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Particularly there was like, there was the one, I think it was Heath actually, that was like, you go, you keep telling him, uh, Kate or whatever. And then the other officers, officers like, are you kidding? This is the yeah. wrong time to do this. My sense was that guy hadn't been through the sensitivity training. So somebody somewhere must've been like, why are all the people, I mean, her dad, yeah, her, her dad hadn't gone through it. And his response was, what did they do to her in that sensitivity training? Um, it just seems like a weird kind of wrap up that didn't seem necessary. I was just like, cause, cause they don't lose anything. I mean, there's, there's no like secret reveal. There's, they don't lose any ground or whatever by just being like, wow. that, that guy at the sensitivity training was something was, I don't know. That just seemed like a weird, a weird line that didn't need to be there. Well, I think it's a relic. I think maybe it's a, it's a carryover from Buffy where for the longest time, arguably maybe all the way through the whole series, but certainly in the early series, they would, it was a running joke that everybody in Sunnydale would just ignore all the weird supernatural stuff going on around them. Sure. Um, and like, particularly the cops would, the fact that every night they had to go out to a, and they have to answer a domestic dispute call or whatever, where a vampire had eaten somebody. Um, and then they could just write it off. They could explain it away. That was the running joke. And I feel like this maybe is a carryover from that. But as you were saying earlier, Los Angeles is such a bigger, more expansive setting that they don't really need to do that on Angel. Right. And I feel like they don't continue that for very long. I feel like eventually Angel realizes, oh, we don't always have to write off how normal people ignore this. In fact, I think the implication become gradually becomes that, oh yeah, LA knows what's going on. Like everybody, yeah. it's just LA people know well, that, what this that, goes was, on. that was even one of my, one of my favorite things on the very first viewing of Buffy is wherever that is the end of season. I don't know when it is. They kind of introduced the mayor, but the, 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 um, the principal's talking on the phone and he's like, so should we, are, are we saying the thing that we normally do? Right. Do yeah. You yeah. really want to talk to the mayor about this? And I was like, Oh, in just those like three lines, they went, 
everybody's not dumb. Right. Everybody understands. They know things are getting covered up and whatever. Yeah. It just seems to that point, the Wolfman Heart thing became sort of like this band aid of like, oh, don't worry. You know, we at Wolfman Heart will take care of that. Mm-hmm. We'll take care. And I was like, OK, I buy that. They have right. that much power and influence or whatever. But then I was like, somebody spiked the drinks at the blue bar. <laughs> I don't know. It's just... See, OK, so I'm I'm going to. You're right. It is an odd line, and and uh, I kind of, I kind of wish the show wouldn't worry about having to explain away. I mean, I suppose that was there for Kate's benefit because we're still they're still trying to keep Kate as the, the uh, the naive citizen or whatever, like the person who doesn't know yeah. all the weird stuff that Angel does. So maybe that was there as a way of explaining. And and for all I know, maybe that's just Kate. Maybe that is just Kate explaining it away to herself. But I do want to give Coda kudos, like like really maudlin, sad, depressing kudos, but kudos uh, to the series for allowing that really dark end between totally between totally. Kate and her dad, where, um, in fact, I think Tim Minear even said like his original. Uh, script for this had the happy ending. Like mm. it had an ending where Kate and her dad came together and they like hugged and, you know, mm-hmm. the music swells and it's a happy ending. And yeah. uh, I believe he said that it was Joss's idea uh, to say, but what if not? Like, what if we yeah. don't? And I love that ending. I love the fact mm-hmm. that the show has the, has the balls to, say yeah this didn't fix anything in fact it might even have made things worse and angel got to sit over there and witness that and just silently witness kate you know being crushed yeah 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 i totally agree yeah i i I made that note myself the twist i called it the twist end was a great touch yeah i really like it you are expecting the hug yeah especially as soon as he walks up you're like okay they learned something maybe he's blind we don't know what she saw or believed but they're better and no, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, my last note on this to episode. Point, to your point, to give Angel the fact that he sees that, right? So, as as an avatar, there there is somebody else in our world that you know uh, witnesses that, and then you know isn't grateful but appreciates that. And, and that was as much a moment for Angel, as, as it was because, uh, of course, there's all these stories have multiple layers and. There's the joke layer of it, obviously, where Angel also could stand to go through sensitivity training and his employees, Cordy and Doyle, complain about not being appreciated enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also just the the true emotional heart of it where Angel sees at the end, um, I don't know, the, the, the father figure just outright not appreciating and not being sensitive to his daughter. And I, it comes home to him. I don't know. I feel like giving Angel that moment to see what it's like for someone who really needs uh, a word of support from someone mm-hmm. else and not getting it. That's well, a... because he, he has certainly been the dad, I think for yeah. a long time. He yeah. is closed off dark yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, to your point, he is, um, he is placating a little bit when he's talking about the coroner stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's pseudo sincere. I think, you know, he likes yeah. 40. That's yeah. fine. But I don't think it hits home until he sees sort of a long-lasting real effect that it has on someone else 
um, which is probably why they gave him that moment of seeing it. Um, so my last little note on this episode is just a trivia thing uh, that I noticed as I was uh, letting the credits roll. The the human bad guy, the the gangster in this is uh, is it Little Tony Papazian, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the second unit director on this show is Robert Papazian Jr. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's they did interesting. That. They, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they just gave that. Yeah. Uh, it was just that name scrolled by and I was like, wait a minute, that's a super unusual name that, uh, where have I heard that? Oh, it's the bad guy in the episode. Yeah. We, we, right. We, I mean, there, there, there aren't five of us that rule. <laughs> oh, come on. You but, can, you can, but, but I'll just say we do that a lot. So, um, it's, it's usually with like, um, sort of, a, a what you'd call like a glorified extra. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody has one line, you know, and they're just in the, you always get a cast list. It's just a cast sheet for casting. And it'll be like officer mm-hmm. or court clerk or whatever. And if you credit them, if they have a line, you have to credit them. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Hank on for life is actually really good about it. What he'll usually do is, if it's just officer number one in the cast list, he'll go ahead and credit it as Officer Smith or Officer Holland. He'll be like, just use the actor's last name and right. give them, a, you know, one more little kind of, you know, nudge or a bump or a thing. Or he'll put in like the script supervisor's name or the AD's name or right, the, yeah. the composer's name. That happens <clears throat> kind of a lot, and it's kind of a fun, nice touch. We just did it on. Um, on for life there were we had if you ever shoot in a in a even a graveyard a cemetery and you focus on names they have to be cleared names so we had changed names on gravestones to I've, their legally cleared names i've, so we I've wondered in, about that yeah so we just put in names of like the music supervisor and the clearance person and this and you'll just you pick names you get them um, blessed off by legal and then you can use them so ne- next season i'll put in a paul smith okay excellent thank you um no one will believe that they'll be like paul smith they couldn't come up with a better name than that jeez um yeah considering uh there are people like me and out in the world that watch every episode of buffy and pause every scene in a cemetery to see if i can spot important names on those headstones yeah yeah makes total sense yeah i remember there was commentary of um i don't remember the i don't remember the episode but they go to like a mausoleum and, the, and on the commentary, the writer of the episode said he put in his, I think it's his wife's, like his wife's maiden name okay, as, as the name on the mausoleum. Yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it, it happens and I always think it's a nice touch. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on that one? No. Um, I don't think so. Um, no. Okay. Well, let's move on to uh, it's time for a bachelor party time. Yeah. Let's get to the bachelor party. Uh, original air date, November 16th, 99 written by Tracy Stern. I apologize. I didn't look this up to see if, uh, if he or she, um, she, she, okay. Um, I she know one other angel. She has one uh, other writing credit. Okay. Uh, on angel, um, on angel. um, is, um, uh, eternity with the, the Hollywood star that wants to be a vampire. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Okay. And then directed by uh, David Strayton. Again, a name that doesn't immediately, isn't immediately familiar. Do you happen to know? Did, I don't know how much Angel he did, but he's done a lot of stuff since. Okay. Uh, I think I think he's done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think he's done mm. Supernatural. I, I, he's still working. Okay. Excellent. 
So, um, yeah, this one is, I feel like this one's kind of a biggie. Uh, again, it might be another, yeah, uh, again, it might be another one of those that maybe is easy to dismiss because it's early season one. And uh, both of these episodes actually are really just, uh, you know, fi- providing background, providing history for some of our supporting characters, which to right. me, are, those are always important, but uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people might dismiss this. But um, as a Doyle fan and a shout out to Dale, <laughs> as a Doyle yeah. fan, this is pretty significant, I thought. And it's a oh, great, I, I... It's, it's a shining moment for Glenn Quinn. Yeah, I, I too loved Doyle right from the beginning because he was so different um, from somebody on Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only or sort of other two people on Buffy that I ever equated him to was um, what's his name that owned the bar that they would go into occasionally to beat up somebody. Uh huh. Um, and or there's um, is it is it Whisper or whoever the guy Whistler. that kind of narrates Whistler. He sort of narrates. Um, is it Becoming one and two? That sounds right. Yeah. In fact, um, there were rumors that Doyle was supposed to be Whistler originally. Like they were going to. I, I, I buy that. Yeah. Because he's that's that's the only kind of person. But the fact that we have this this kind of character, I, I loved right from the beginning. Because mm-hmm. just because he was very different um, uh, and sort of was the, you know, if you were going to grow Cordy and evolve her, which I think they do pretty well, even early on. You needed that other character that is going to just say the wrong thing or be bluntly honest or be comedic or and I think you and you and Dale or somebody mentioned this last week that he was he was what the writers needed him to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that he was either really smart or really dumb or really heroic or really scared. But he was that he was sort of the, the new Cordy. Right. For Cordy was never really smart, but. He was the new kind of thread character. Yeah, uh, and and I think he hit. I think he hit the ground running. I was a big fan right from the beginning. Um, um, and I, I there's there's the great moment in Hero, but I was really sad to see him go. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, so I have at least one listener uh, who's playing along as we go. Um, I always I always stress these are spoiler filled episodes, and I'm always like. You really, you really watch the whole show before you listen to us talk about it, uh, because and, and they're always like, "No, it's not a problem. I don't care about spoilers." And then I've heard well, from you, you I've you heard really from them. The show. <laughs> I know I've heard from them you're, already you're about how oh I was really sad to learn that Doyle's not going to stick around for very long. I was like, I know I told you, yeah. I told you don't listen until you watch the show. But anyways, spoiler Wait, alert: Doyle doesn't Wesley. stick around very long. Wait till you get to Wesley and Lila, which oh, is one of my favorite. Man, uh, cannot sorry. wait. But um, but no, he's he's great in this. Um, and he's human, and he's and he pardon the pun, but he, he's funny and he's touching. Um, the the Harry reveal is is great and totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a genuine surprise. Um, and um, you get um, I can't think of his name in this. Richard, yes. Um, um, Car- Carlos Carlos Jackot Jackot yeah who's uh, who I think was the first hat trick because you mentioned you mentioned Andy last week did yeah but with Carlos you get Anne 
uh-huh. this, and then he's in the the he's in the first episode of well the first written shot produced episode te- of Fire. Technically the pilot, yeah. The the chronologically the pilot episode of yeah. so Serenity. You, so you, I, I, I don't know why in my head it was always like, oh, he's the first hat trick. So I don't know if Andy beats him out. So so uh Andy Umberger I always thought that he was also in the pilot of Firefly, but I think you're right. He was in the first he air be. he was in the first aired episode. Oh, could be. He's he's like the captain on the, the evil ship, right? The captain on the Dortmunder or whatever it was called. Um, which I think is from tr- the train job, which aired first. Could be. Yeah. But Serenity was written and shot first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's one of those. Tim Minear wrote Somnambulist first, but this, but uh, <laughs> Sense and Sensitivity aired first. Anyways, yes, uh, Carlos. <laughs> Carlos, anytime he's he shows, I he's, love him. I love him, and I, I don't. I'm not familiar with everything he's done, but I have to imagine, in my limited mutant enemy fanboy way i have to imagine that it's impossible to see that man show up in any project and not automatically assume oh there's the bad guy (laughs) just because that's he always plays just an awful i mean i suppose richard isn't awful no that's one of my that's one of my favorite things in this is you know we were talking about like the the non the non-magical evil lawyer this is one of those great examples of of he, he's not evil. He's he's a he's a he's a demon sort of the way that you know Amber Benson has demon in her, but then we find out that he she actually doesn't. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to just kind of normalize, and in because Cordy doesn't know about about um, Doyle. Doyle, yeah. So there 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 are certain bits of of the normalizing of demons here, and he's even when he's going to go through with the the, the blessing it's it's out of a family tradition thing he's not after a pot of gold he's not after a, a you know the eye of amara or the, the ring of you know there's there's no there's no end game for mm-hmm. him other than he's this and the other nice twist there <clears throat> that i think they do really well is what they do with harry which is sh- the fact that she had apparently freaked out about doyle being part demon then accepted it then became that became her career and she fell in love with Richard. I love that backstory with Doyle and Harry because it's so it it's so complex. It in terms of like a single episode, you know, 40 minute episode of television, it feels so complex as to almost be convoluted. There's a lot of twists that that takes in the mm-hmm. fact that um he didn't know that he had demon heritage until it sprung itself on him uh, when he was 21. She initially freaked out. So you start to think, oh, well, that's what ended the marriage. She couldn't deal with that. Then it turns out she, ex- she learned to accept it. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, and he could not accept the fact that she was accepting it. Like he, mm-hmm. it really traumatized him. And so the tension between them then became that she thought it was okay and she was trying to tell him accept your heritage you know i love you just the same and he couldn't and so that's what broke that up like he self-sabotaged and uh i don't know i i love how how atypical 
that is of these kinds of stories. And it mm-hmm. felt, it added a sense of realism to it, to me. Absolutely. And one it's of my great. very favorite things about Angel, one of the reasons in the long run, one of the re- reasons Angel, I hold it above Buffy is in my uh, amateur opinion, uh, many of my guests may debate this with me, but in my amateur opinion, Angel does the better job of uh, humanizing demons or whatever, of, of normalizing the other. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's starting at this very early stage with that. And um, the fact that Cordelia just a few episodes ago, uh, and I think it was episode two, Lonely Hearts, um, she made the dismissive comment about, I don't remember what she said, but something to the effect of, you know, all demons are evil or all mm-hmm. demons are hideous or whatever. Um, and now here we are five episodes later, and she at least seems to be open to the idea of like hanging out at a bachelorette party with a bunch of people that she knows are half demon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she even says something like, um, oh, they seem nice or <laughs> whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the sort of, the, I mean, they even meant they even bring racism into it. Yeah, I was gonna. I, I did. I I have a, a, re, a thing written down here that's it's racism with quotes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um. So they're 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 it's 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 not quite getting into the the, the gravitas of how you have you are you now or have you ever been? Which oh yeah. Is a, a, a very serious. Extraordinary. Like yeah. Um. But they're they're starting to lean into it, and I think to your point, because they're starting to ground this in their in that world building, they're grounding it. You know, Buffy is is very much a, a, a sort of a comic book show, mm-hmm. if I, if I'm going to generalize. And this isn't. This is a a drama, maybe a dramedy. It's light. It's action. It's but it's it's there's a lot more going going on that they can say this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> um and I think they do it well. Um, the fact that they sort of introduce him as the demon halfway through, they don't hold that till the end. You know, I, I, I sort of, I always like that. It's, it's, it, they did the same thing with Lloyd in Sense and Sensitivity. They didn't hold that he was the bad guy until the end because he's not really the bad guy. It's Yeah, the bad guy's it's, not the point even. Yeah. yeah, you know, so the fact that they kind of, they let us know that he's the bad guy halfway through that episode <clears throat> is similar only in that, Richard isn't the bad guy here. There, mm-hmm. there really isn't a bad guy in this episode. They're, they're the, the sort of the impetus, or they're the antagonist here. But they're not, you know, it, it, they're not being bad. It's, it's. They have to escape them, and they have to sort of deal with it. But it's, it's, you know, even Harry is sort of like, I know I can't be with you anymore. But it's, it's out of very humanistic, like trust issue it's it's very relatable relationship everyday issue not that he's a demon right. not that he was trying to take over the world right or you know <clears throat> or anything or, or anything there I, I just i i really like that about this and i liked it, it lays groundwork then for cordy finding out about right Royal. right um i liked the actress uh, i i loved the the two of them, Glenn Quinn and then the actress Kristen Dottillo, I think is how you say her last name, uh, that played Harry. I thought they had good chemistry. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't get an awful lot of time with them together. It's just this episode. Although I think she does maybe come back in here. I don't remember that, honestly. 
I don't remember if she comes back or if they just mention her. But anyways, we just get this brief time with them together. But I feel like the two actors had good chemistry together. It was very believable. You could sense that, I mean, they did a good job of conveying that they had a history with each other. Um, Doyle's whole demeanor changed when she was in the room. I really liked that switch that Glenn Quinn made there. Um, And so that actress, Kristen DeTillo, um, she, I looked at her IMDb. She has a few long run credits on her resume, including like nine episodes of Dexter, I think as detect, as detective Gianna and 47 episodes of a character named Yola on the Chris Isaac show, whatever the heck that was. I I, I didn't know there was a Chris. Isaac. I love Chris Isaac. I didn't know there was a Chris Isaac show. Uh, but to me, she is and always has been, always will be Janie from Aerosmith's Janie's Got a Gun video. Oh my god, I didn't know that was her. That's her. So Wow. That's that's that's, that's uh, David Fincher. Oh oh is it? He did that video? Yeah, David Fincher directed that. Awesome. Awesome. So David Fincher is now a there there's a six degrees of separation with David Fincher and there's probably a much smaller degree of separation. I'm sure oh, the streams have crossed much closer than that, but yeah, that's funny. Anyways, yeah. So I really liked her uh, in this role. And uh, speaking of the the Cordy hanging out at the bachelorette party, one of the one of the plot conveniences that I'm willing to roll my eyes a little bit at that I, I will confess I was like, hang on now, <laughs> is every time we saw Kristen or every every time we saw Harry talking like with Angel or whatever about her history with Doyle. She was very open about the fact, like she was just casually talking about the fact that, oh yeah, he's half demon. And, you know, I found that out. She spends all this time with Cordy, presumably, presumably hours and hours up to, and including the bachelorette party. And it just never, and then by anybody else in the family, it's never casually dropped that Doyle is half demon while Cordy's around. That's, that was a little bit, hmm, all right. But whatever. That's, that's that's convenient. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the Batman talk we had earlier. Yes. Uh, yes. The rooftop stunt. It's it's brief, uh, but when Angel is tailing Richard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that shot, and I loved how it was executed. With the we see Richard walking on the street, then the camera pans up to the rooftops above him, and you see yep. Angel just running along the edge, and then he. I rewound and rewatched this several times and I have no idea how they did it. I'm sure it was really simple because it looks so effective, but I like he jumps from one level down to the next. And then from Mm -hmm. that level down to the next, it seems like that had to be stunt work or somebody on a wire. Like I was, it looked like, Oh, that guy jumps into a bag probably that's hidden by the next roof line. And then another actor steps up in the coat uh, to look like it's one continuous movement. It could be. I don't, I don't remember if we see him disappear. Like, do you see him go behind a building that he probably hit a pad? Well, he that he, makes no sense. he jumps down, and then the roof line that he's jumping down to obscures it a little bit. And so that's what I oh, thought okay. the gag was. And I was like, that was super well done. But then I rewound and watched it, and I'm like, it might actually just be a guy that jumped down and lands on his feet and continues on. Anyways, yeah, I remember thinking you can kind of tell it's not David, Like yeah. they don't, it just, it just is, is they, I think they're hoping it's just kind of far away enough. Yeah. 
um, that you let it happen. But <clears throat> anyways, I, however they did it, whether it was simple or complex, uh, the magic worked on me and I just loved it. I thought it was a well executed. It's a well shot scene. Yeah, no, it is. It looks great. Um, I think we, I don't know if we mentioned the, the, the Wolfram & Hart building, the exterior is a real building at Sony. Um, we did not Sony mention Plaza. that. It's the Sony Plaza building. Okay. Um, so every, every time I see it, I'm always like, oh, there's the Sony Plaza building. And then this was the first time I noticed that the the restaurant that Cordy and her date go to, uh-huh. there, is a, there is a brief exterior of that restaurant. Okay. And it is a Marie Callender's on Wilshire. <laughs> <laughs> um which is just funny uh, and i was like oh my god i've been there <laughs> uh awesome uh man i haven't i didn't even know marie calendar still existed as a rest as a like a brick and mortar restaurant i i don't know that it does in fact because that one had been there forever and it is it is that nice looking on the outside which is kind of strange yeah um <clears throat> when that one closed my wife and i went to it because we knew that it was closing and we're like this this might be the last one i don't know that they're still around but. i just i remember when in my in my preteen years i used to <sighs> eat it marie calendars yeah, <laughs> yeah. um Anyways, uh, I, think it, we, I don't think we mentioned it's, you know, we get a little Buffy uh, and even a Xander. We get a Buffy photo and a Xander right. reference uh, in the episode. And I think you touched on it pretty well last week of how and why they're they're laying in um, the, the show one in the show two to get it kind of up and running. And I, I get that it's necessary. Um, I mean, I... No, let me let me rephrase. I get that they believed it was necessary yeah. uh, to do that. Uh, and I'm not a studio exec, so I maybe I'm just a cynic in, in the fact that I don't necessarily think it was necessary. But regardless, I get why they did it. That actually is my one complaint about this episode is mm. the I it, I thought it was a pity that the really sweet sort of character driven ending that was happening like between Doyle and Cordelia there in, yeah. in uh, the office that it had to sort of be derailed by that. Uh, what I thought was a shoehorned crossover setup with him having a vision of yeah. what will lead angel to go back to Buffy for pangs uh-huh. the episode of pangs, which on his own, on its own uh, the Buffy episode pangs is great. Great. Jan Espenson again. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think Angel's involvement in that episode was pretty weak. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, there really was no, I don't remember there being anything so special about the events of Pangs that uh, the powers that be really needed to involve Doyle's visions. Correct. In that at all. Um, it's, it's built up like a finale. Yeah. This one off, it's a, it's a monster of the week that he comes back for. And I love the episode aside from the, the serialized stuff. Yeah. Just the Thanksgiving stuff is great. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic episode that didn't really need Angel wandering around in the background. Correct. Um, now that does provide for the coming back to Angel. So next week, the next episode, um, I will remember you, which yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the character of Buffy Summers, but of the crossovers, uh, that felt like the more effectual, the more effective. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I, I remember really liking that mostly because, sorry, this is getting into next week's, 
Um, but the fact that it ends with only him remembering it, right. yeah. nobody else does. And I remember thinking, wow, he's going to carry that for you know the rest of the thing, and it's only him. And I yeah. always loved that about that episode. Yep, that's a. But a... I, I was always yeah, but you know, I don't even mind the photo at the beginning of this episode if that's all it was. You yeah. don't need the you know you don't need the end. The reference to Xander was was fine. The reference, Oz, Oz showing up, I love. Yes. Um, When Willow shows up, and it was a surprise at the end of season two, two, I think. I think so. um, Saying what happens to Buffy, um, because there's no spoilers, no spoilers. (laughs) Of course, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I loved that, you know. Um, uh, But yeah, yeah. Which that was the last time you and I talked was about the events that led Willow. To to go see Angel. To go see Angel. Um, yeah, see that there are effective ways for them to do these crossovers, and that that thing with Willow, um, that felt necessary. That's the kind of big event. Correct. That it feels like yes, the characters from this show need to go and talk to the characters on that show. Um, the uh, the Xander reference is fine. Like I. I it never bothers me that these characters talk about and acknowledge that they have a history with these other characters. That's fine. I love the fact that Xander got name dropped. Um, the photo thing doesn't really bother me if that's all it was, but the cynic in me can't help but believe that they only did that photo thing so that they set up for the end. So they wouldn't have to explain Doyle's vision at the very end of the episode. You're, You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, I mean, they could have just had him have the vision and describe the blonde chick and have Angel or Cordy say Buffy or whatever. They could have done that, but they chose to do it this way. He sees Buffy, so now he knows what she looks like. So when he has the vision later, he knows who it is. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so it, it makes, you know, it makes network note plotting sense. But <laughs> right. I you it's too much. Right. Um. But uh, so what uh, what else do we get in this episode? Oh, I talked about how how I thought the rooftop stunt was exceedingly well done. There's um, this is one of those fun little nitpicks that I a lot of people actually nitpick this about Angel because it's a show about a vampire. So anytime you're dealing with a vampire on screen for 90 percent of every episode, you're going to catch all the little gaffes. But uh, I'm just having fun with it when I point out that uh, we get a shot in Angel's office where he's, he and Cordy, oh, I think it's at the end, actually, uh, with Doyle. Doyle's sitting all depressed in one room, and Cordy and Angel are looking through the louvered glass between yeah. offices, between rooms. And um, I thought it was hilarious that because that window is louvered glass, You've got three or four panes of glass all in a row right there. And David Boreanaz is reflected in each and every one of those. So in one shot, you're getting four reflections of Angel right there. Oh, I didn't notice that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's that, that goes against the grain. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> that stuff doesn't actually bother me. I just thought it was... It, it bothers me. That one bothers me in a sense of... Man, that's a lot of reflections to not notice as you're filming that shot. How did you not yeah. see that? <laughs> but yeah. regardless, um, I thought it was funny that Doyle gets shoved into a Captain Pike from 
Star Trek box. Oh yeah, and I love the the sort of the shot that's like the camera just kind of locked on his head as he as the box is getting as it's moving. Him. Yeah, as and it's moving. Right. Getting, I thought that was really well done. Yeah. And yeah. there's a great time cut um, when he signs the paperwork. I think it's like in in Angel's office or something. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he hands it over, it's the next day or whenever when right. he hands it to Perry. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, that was good. Um, speaking of um, <laughs> r- rules and, and however they deal with them, in this, Cordy has a cell phone. Right. Which she answers just like it's you know an everyday answer and it's very interesting when they can get a hold of somebody or they can't right or, they, or he has to use the payphone or he has to i you know. when i when i saw her answering like when you heard the phone ringing and she pulls that out my first thought was oh look at that dated cell phone man <laughs> look at that clunky flip phone with the antenna that pulls out i was like that is hilarious but then my other thought was Oh, I guess she has a cell phone now. Interesting. Yeah. Because um, you would think even on Angel, again, talking about like the world building or whatever and mm-hmm. being like, okay, guys, we're all going to get – or even Wesley might say that when he shows up. Guys, we're all going to get – because I think they have like pagers still yeah, yeah. or something. And I'm like, wouldn't you all at least be able to talk to each other knowing how much – danger you get well, into cell phones were expensive in the early days i get i mean cell phones Ooh. are cell phones are still expensive but you know cordy's not getting paid much she no can't. but she has her cell phone yeah <laughs> anyways uh angel, angel was still on a landline angel was still on a billing in um was it i fall to pieces <laughs> yeah they get their first paying customer yeah that's funny. uh oh so overall Oh, we didn't even mention that we get uh, Doyle's full name, Alan Francis Doyle. Oh, I th- I, I, that's true. And I think it's just, is it only in the episode with, with Oz this season that we get his for full name? It's really recent. Uh, did they never say it in Buffy? I, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like when we, when we hear Osborne, is that in this I can't. It may be in Buffy, but it's it's really recent that we just found out his full name, too. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but speaking of um, my new favorite game in the world, which okay. is Angel Bingo. Oh, see, I knew I was going to regret this. <laughs> we get we get the uh, title sequence uh, door burst. That's right. Yeah. So if you're paying attention to the opening credits, which I've just been looking for all the faces and trying to place them in the episodes. But yeah, I did notice when he kicks in the, is it the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. He kicks in the front door of the restaurant. And then he has to burst back in. And I was like, Oh, I have that. (laughs) I have it on my bingo card. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. See, I knew I was going to regret creating the imaginary angel bingo. Cause now we're going to have to, someone's going to, someone, I'm fantasizing that one of my listeners will actually put this together for us and post it online. I so hope we, so. So we can all print out our angel bingo cards. And then it was nice, you know, Cordy, I, I love that Cordy defends Doyle in this without knowing that she's the demon. You know, she beats up on demon Doyle, not knowing that it's Doyle. She thinks she's just defending her friend, right? especially after we see him defend her, um, you know, with uh, the the attack from when she's on the date, mm-hmm. you know. So she, so there is that friendship 
there mm-hmm. that you know to to again it's kind of a plotting thing or, a, or a, a, an episode condensed thing but she's just defending this friend of hers instinctually right and it's it's kind of a throwaway and it's kind of played for a gag but i'm like oh that's sincere that's yeah. her defending doyle yeah no i love that stuff i we didn't even talk about the the moment of clarity that uh cordy has at the beginning where she's like and of course it's played up in Cordy's fashion, uh, Cordelia fashion as a joke, but all of a sudden rich and handsome isn't enough for me. Now I expect a guy to be all brave and interesting. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, you're to blame for that. I blame you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <clears throat> yeah. These are, these are two, you know, and to your point, I think uh, they were grouped together. Well, mm-hmm. um, um, damn it, Arlo. Was- I hate, I hate giving Arlo credit, but yeah. But these are these are two episodes that sort of feel like filler. Um, they're not big monster of the week or big plot episodes, but there's a lot happening sort of underneath them. Um, it's sort of I think it's sort of like what you said about never trust a boy on the first date way back when. Oh man, where you in, had said, in the before oh, I, times. I, yeah, because that's season one. Yeah. Um, and it, it very much feels like a, uh, an episode that you forget. And it feels like this episode that you're like, well, I have to watch this because I'm rewatching the whole thing. But there's a lot in that episode that's, you know, character stuff right. or setup stuff. Um, and I feel like that's kind of where we are, where we are with with these two. You know, you can't you can't skip them because you learn a lot about people, about about the characters in them. Yeah. I've lost track of what will ultimately end up being on mic and off mic of what we've discussed <laughs> since we've been talking to each other tonight. Uh, but at one point we were talking about um, the difference between binged television and, and like appointment television. Oh yeah. Uh, like yes. week to week. And so I, I understand, I mean, I grew up with, like you didn't have an option to binge. You watched TV whenever TV came on. Uh, Buffy and Angel were no different. Um, so obviously the week to week works somehow. We made it work. Yeah. We survived. We got through it. The show was great. But it is interesting to now be able to go back and watch the to binge these shows or to watch them in chunks like we're doing for this podcast and to see the difference between like pairing these two episodes together in one discussion mm-hmm. As opposed to at the time you were watching them a week at a time and how they must have felt like they must have felt even more like filler when that's all you get in the week is sense and sensitivity. And you're like, oh, well, all right, I guess that was an episode. And then next week you get bachelor party. And uh, I'm sure some people were like, man, another another filler episode about Doyle. Um I don't know, but there's. It's funny because I, I I totally agree with you. And and on my on my blog, I wrote an article about Dollhouse, um, and and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we watched TV week to week. And I very specific. This is something I write in it, but I very specifically remember growing up and yelling, "It's on!" Uh-huh. Because when first when commercials would happen, you'd run to the bathroom or get a soda or whatever. Right. Somebody would be waiting. To tell everybody else. That's right. But it's on. That's right. So, so because that you know because it was the norm, and on top of the the binge versus week to week watching, we were we grew up accustomed to you know twenty two episodes a season. Yeah. 
Um, you know, if you look back on like I Love Lucy or, you know, The Honeymooners or Dick Van Dyke, I mean, you were at probably 39 or 40 episodes mm -hmm. a season. You know, so I think we were accustomed to stuff that didn't feel like filler then. I think, to your point, we're, we're accustomed now to 10 episodes that are condensed in a good way, but they're plotted for 10 episodes. Right. Whereas these are, I think we were more accustomed to not expecting something big every single week. Right. And I think that's one of the great things about television is you can do an episode like this and give the character moments to whomever or have these little one-off B, C storyline episodes that give that world building to a show. And I, I, I don't remember being – I mean certainly we were more excited about certain episodes mm -hmm. on first viewing. But I don't ever remember kind of going, oh, this really felt like a letdown. Because there's a lot of fun stuff in all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And I, I also think that the like the term monster of the week, I I don't know for sure. I don't remember for sure, but I feel like emotionally I feel like that comes from Buffy. The whole notion of monster of the week, that concept or at least that term comes from Buffy fans who were like, Oh, this is a monster of the week episode where we're just tuning in to watch her beat up on this nightmare demon or whatever. And what made one of the things that made Buffy and then angel feel unique is that, um, it wasn't just 22 episodes or whatever of standalones monster of the Correct. weeks. If you were paying attention, there was a larger story being told Correct. in the background. So even the filler episodes connect. Um, Absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of the things yeah. I, I've always loved about this show. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, it's the genre that I like, but yes, they, they were usually very good about using using every episode to do something with. I know one of the notes on Buffy was, <clears throat> you know, was when they were writing is what is the Buffy of this episode? Mm -hmm. It wasn't usually like, how cool is it? Or what's the monster doing? It's, you know, and yes, that stems from, you know, high school being hell. Mm -hmm. But it's what is what is the Buffy of this? And I think they do the same thing with Angel, which is what is the angel of this? So as we were saying before, uh, I think that's why they have Angel see the exchange between Kate and her father at the end is how does this affect him? Right. Uh, and I think that helps with the, the quote unquote filler episodes is because we're still letting him grow, you know, so that by, by the time we get to uh, Sean Shu in L.A., or even the finale, you know, where he has opportunities to, you know, grow even bigger than than the angel we know him as. We understand why he either decides to do things or decides not to. Why he decides to break the ring of Amara, if I'm remembering the name of the thing correctly. Yeah, that was it. Or, or why why he why he doesn't shunt you, or he isn't shunt you, or why he decides not. He you know he signs his 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 um, soul away, or you know. I, I think those work because we we are associated to him in these long, you know, these long ways. It, it, it's funny. I was I, I've been um, rewatching West Wing, mm -hmm. um, 
And there were, again, there were certain episodes that I was like, oh, I don't really remember this one, or I kind of remembered thinking it was filler. And I'm doing the same thing as I'm watching it. I'm like, wow, this is a really important episode for like for those two scenes. Right. They were able to do those two things with those three characters or whatever that I was like, wow, if I'd skipped over that, it, the next four would not have yeah. meant something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's 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 the Chris Claremont writing in in X Men, or it's you know it's it's the Larry Hama writing in you know the first hundred GI Joes. Right. You know, you get this sense of somebody telling a story. God bless you for making those comics references. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I I, uh, I tend to go to sometimes I go to I Love Lucy, uh, uh, so I gotta bring, <laughs> I gotta bring it back. Uh, see, and I love both those things. I love I love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke and yeah. I love Chris Claremont's X Men and Larry Hama's GI Joe. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, GI Joe was that's what got me into comics. So oh, wow. I, I always have a special a special place for it. I had always, my dad was into comics, so I, I they were always you know around, and I always kind of read them. And he had he I now have them. I, I'm so proud to say, but he had a lot of Silver Age yeah. comics and certainly a lot of like you know 19. 19- 60s they would do like compendiums so oh yeah get the little whole prince valiant or a whole run of buck rogers and Bumble. yeah but a buddy of mine in whatever whatever grade i must have been in elementary school um gave me a copy of of gi joe and that's the one that got me into oh i want to read what's next and that's what got me into uh collecting excellent totally, totally awesome. separate from, from i uh i huh? one of my brush one of my brushes with fame no one of my brushes i was on a panel at a at a uh uh convention i was on a panel sitting next to larry hama once that's amazing so that was it i don't know how that happened i actually don't even remember what the (laughs) what the panel was about i don't remember how um uh, yeah, I don't remember how I ended up sitting next to Larry Hama, but it was amazing. He was amazing. I had a great time talking to him. He was super sweet and uh, and obviously like super intelligent and knowledgeable. But yeah, there's there's clunky stuff in the first. I mean, certainly the first maybe 50 is where like Serpentor comes in, mm-hmm. you know, but like that whole run up until then with all the Storm Shadow and the Snake Eye stuff. I mean, it's it holds up. It's yeah, really I was, was going to say that stuff holds up even today. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. And the Claremont stuff, obviously. I mean, obviously, I I don't mean I don't mean to throw away. (laughs) I don't want I don't want Mr. Claremont to feel like that was a throwaway. It absolutely was not. I I I, I mentioned him because he deserves it. I think he'll be okay. See, see, I I love Larry Hama, but Claremont was my Larry Hama. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, (laughs) see, comics. We talk about comics on Gobbledygeek. Why aren't? Wow. I haven't had you. I, I, I do love. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I got to uh, I got to meet Bob Kane, and um, oh wow, my dad my dad was a was a hobby artist, <clears throat> and he drew he drew a picture of Bob Kane drawing Batman, and that's what I that's what I got uh, Mr. Kane to sign. So that was pretty cool. Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. And it's it's it says bats wishes Bob Kane. Nice. So yeah, comics are good, and if we didn't. Uh... If we weren't clear earlier, WandaVision is damn good, too. It's great. So now that everybody is tuned in to listen to us talk about Angel, yeah, go read some comics and watch WandaVision, too. Uh, All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I'm sorry it's taken so long. And, um, yeah, I need need to get you back. I would love to. 
All right. Thank so, you for having me. So uh, anything you want to pimp? Any wares that you need to pimp or uh, presences you need to sell? No, uh, no. I mean, if um, it's funny. One thing I, I just for fun that I launched over quarantine was a specific Instagram page. This this is why I constantly think about things like I Love Lucy and Dick Van Dyke. But I, I, I launched just a fun hobby, classic Hollywood uh, Instagram page, which is is solely either me randomly you know, saying, hey, I worked on this, please go check it out, or it is 99% classic Hollywood. So if that's your thing, check it out. It's just at Holland Imaginarium. Awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. Thank you. Um, okay. And thank you everybody at home for listening along. You can find links to this and all the past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, maybe Spotify someday. If I finally get around to doing that. Um, if you, uh, yeah, if you go there, please rate us or write us a review that helps new listeners find the podcast, spread the word. Uh, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the larger conversation, please drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Uh, next, author, philosopher, Frenchman Matthew Cravat joins me. Um, it's been a long time since I've had him on the podcast. He's uh, flying back across the pond to join me. Uh, to discuss a couple of the biggies, I think, from Season 1, Episodes 108, I Will Remember You, as we already teased, and 109, Hero, uh, which we've also teased. Big, big, big. <laughs> yeah. So uh, come back for those. Until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. I'm too sensitive for my own. I'm too sensitive, I'd change that if I could I'm too sensitive, you know I really should Try to change that behavior if I could Change my behavior and I would